Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration. And it's our Christmas edition, where we see what Santa has brought for us this year. Will it be a festive classic, or will it be a lump of cinematic coal? And are we having a Christmas party that most definitely 100% isn't a Christmas party? Is it a business meeting? (laughs) (laughs) Are we social distancing? What are we doing? Hello, boys. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Topical. Topical, yeah. Don't age the podcast. I've gone and done it, lads. Gone and done it. Well, they'll do, the thing is, they'll do something stupid again in the next they week. They will, yeah, Anyway, yeah. by the time this comes out, of so course. it'll be fine. It's evergreen. Of course. <laughs> they, uh, yeah. Just insert topical scandal into... Uh... Well, have you noticed, whenever there is a, like a scandal, Boris Johnson has a, another baby. Well, he doesn't have another baby. So... <laughs> Another baby emerges emerges from the Johnson lineage. Sorry, the Johnson lineage. <laughs> Lovely stuff. His Johnson lineage. <laughs> yeah. Johnson being his penis, obviously. <laughs> and we should ca- c- congratulate him on his seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh. <laughs> he doesn't even know how many children he's got, so how should we? Well, this is it. This is it. That must mean he's gone through quite a few political scandals in his time. <laughs> Every time one's coming, he needs to churn another out. Gosh. Uh, how are you both? You okay? Yeah, fine, mate. Yeah, yeah, great, mate. Good stuff, good stuff. What have you both been watching this week? So, um, so not this week, but since last we spoke. Mm. So I went to see King Richard. Ooh. So this is the Venus and Serena Williams being prepped for greatness by their father movie. So yes. I thought you I thought when you said King Richard I thought in my head came and when I went ooh I was thinking it was a little Richard biopic. <laughs> oh no no no. It wouldn't be that would probably be a bit more sensational than this. But uh, <laughs> yeah. so so this is uh, it's a bit long and fairly by the numbers in terms of its structure but it's undeniably crowd pleasing and a great vehicle for Will Smith to do some acting. Yes. He's really doing some acting in this one. <laughs> so uh, and I really appreciate it. You know, Will Smith has been insanely famous since the mid-90s, so it can sometimes be difficult for him to shed the celebrity persona and play a regular person, but he's really put the work in with this performance. It's sort of the perfect intersection of great part with a massive movie star. At its heart, the film is about a well-meaning but deeply flawed man trying to do right by his insanely gifted daughters, whilst also managing to hit all the trappings of a classic sports movie. I dug it, and I think they might give Smith the Oscar for it. It feels like the sort of movie that the Academy will just eat up. As long as they don't give it Daniel Craig, that's great. (laughs) I don't. Well, he didn't get nominated for a Golden Globe, so, you know. There's no way. (laughs) There's no way it's happening. No way. I think I believe behind the scenes they're, 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 they're trying to make the right move. It's not going to happen, no chance. I hope Will Smith at least gets a nomination for this because he's gone through some horrible stuff in the last recent few years. He really and, has, hasn't he? You know, his his career kind of fell off the wagon a bit and um, he just seems like such a nice dude and I'm just, uh, yeah, rooting for him. Um, so it's good to hear that he's, it's on the up again for him. I read his memoir, by the way. Oh, was it any good? <laughs> Uh, very revealing. Almost a case for celebrities revealing less in the, keeping a few more cards towards the chest. <laughs> I've I've heard that people yeah who've read it now know more about Will Smith's sex life than possibly Will Smith knows. Yes, <laughs> there is some inferences to be made throughout, but we will not get into that. No, <laughs> anyway, we won't. Will Smith. No, yeah, eighty episodes in, no legal trouble yet, so yes. we'll keep it that way. <laughs> Will Smith, very good in King Richard. Uh, I think it'll be coming on to um, premium VOD 
in the next week or so. So if you if you're able to because uh, it's been and gone in cinemas now. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are able to catch it, then by all means, get on it. Lovely stuff. These are the times, aren't they, where um, it, that that gap between sort of home viewing and cinema viewing is getting shorter and shorter. Yeah. Yeah. Because The Last Jewel is on Disney Plus now already, and that was only in cinemas like oh, is it already six there? weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. Wow. It's a good time, but also a weird time how it's um, the gap's non-existent. I, I so Speaking of Ridders, I did see House of Gucci last week as well, which I really enjoyed, flaws and all. It's just the, like the most cinematic soap opera you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> Did you enjoy it more because of all the stuff he's been doing recently? <laughs> Did it add to the enjoyment? <laughs> that and just everyone being absolutely insane in it. Like, Gaga gets the tone just right. Like, Adam Driver is sort of trying to play a nuanced human being and it's not the film for that at all. <laughs> and then you've got Pacino and Jared Leto on the other side just having father-son ham off in every single scene that they're in. <laughs> it's massively entertaining. They're all in different movies. It's it's great fun, though. Ham off! <laughs> the, the consensus is that it's just off its head. And yeah. some people like that about it, and some people don't like about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I really want to see that. Yeah, I just, lo- I've just, yeah. I've just adored Riddis's press tour. It's just That's so the- good, just setting fire to everything. <laughs> My favorite one was where some guy just innocently said something like, um, "Oh, like last jewel is, um, it's a bit more sort of." realistic than your other films like Kingdom of Heaven and he just goes like Sam yeah fuck you fuck off fuck you Sam. <laughs> 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 <So good. laughs> just there in a face mask 80 odd year old runners just so this poor little blogger to fuck off <laughs> <laughs> oh, love him it's just hilarious one thing I did want to bring up, though, guys. Um, so, uh, cast your mind back a few weeks. We did an episode on Ghostbusters 2, didn't we? Yeah, we did. And we spoke about on that, on that pod how we were looking forward to Afterlife, which is the latest sequel. Have yeah. either of you seen it? No. No. Um, I've been kind of put off it by the, the tepid uh, reception to it and... I'm not really jazzed about it anymore. Did you see it, James? I have seen it. So what I will say is it's not worth risking catching the Omicron variant for. (laughs) (laughs) No. So despite the solid enough performances from the new cast, its reverence for the original film ultimately prevents it from being anything interesting in its own right. So it's sort of caught halfway between a family drama and a lazy rehash of the original film's mythology. And it results in this weird sort of amblin-like, syrupy, nostalgic concoction that's been forced through, like, a super-earnest Spielbergian prism, which is just completely out of step with the other films in the series. It's crammed, honestly, with so much fan service that frankly just feels more desperate and embarrassing as it grinds towards its lacklustre end. Goodness me. Honestly, anyone with even a passing knowledge of the IP will spend so much of the final hour reenacting the Rick Dalton pointing at the screen meme from Once Upon a Time. (laughs) Really? It's just like, oh, 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 like every two seconds. Honestly, it makes Ghostbusters 2 look like a masterpiece in comparison. (laughs) Which it is. I mean, it's a real disappointment. I did not enjoy it at all. Oh, man. But as always, like I value your opinion, so I'm glad I know. I think if you've seen the trailer, I saw 
a trailer and thought, oh, this looks quite good. And then I saw another trailer where they revealed some of the stuff that happens in the second half of the movie. And I, started, I was worried. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And then it is. It's just it's just fan service over story at any point. They're trying right. to tell like a family sort of drama, which is the sort of film that Jason Reitman ordinarily makes. Mm. But then they're like, oh, if we just do that, then all the f- hardcore Ghostbusters fans will get up in arms. All right, so we'll just bring back everything from the original and that'll make it. It's so insulting to anyone who <laughs> might be a fan of the original because they're just going, here, here, here's some nostalgia. Get down that, get that down your neck and shut up. <laughs> it's a bit annoying how that's the people they pander to, isn't it? Like yeah. the ones who kicked off about the Paul Fague one. Yeah. Which I, I quite liked, actually. And I thought the worst parts of that movie were when they were desperately like putting in the fan nods. Yeah. It's a shame that they've then like just tried to pander to all the people who were furious about that one for no real reason other than that it was a bunch of women rather than blokes doing it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll see it eventually, but I'm not in a rush to go to the cinema to watch it. No, I must admit, I'm not now. Um, but that's <laughs> Sorry, uh, no, no, I, I know good. we don't it's... like to be negative, but I, it's not even that. No, it's, it's good like, to know. It's good to know. It's just I felt it was really, even though it's got this like super earnest sort of take on. Sometimes you think it's Field of Dreams rather than Ghostbusters. Really, it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. That interests me that you picked that movie as yeah. the reference point. <laughs> Honestly, when you see the film, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, it's got like this super earnest tone to it, but it's so cynical in the way it's been put together because it's just like, right, we're doing this, but we're just going to slap a load of the stuff from the original film in there to make all the knobheads happy. <laughs> Is it a bit like like that speech by Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park? Like you patent it and package it, slap it on a plastic lunchbox and you sell it, you sell it, you're going to sell it. Yeah, yeah. I also invoked Ian Malcolm halfway through the film when I was like, uh, uh, are you going to have any... Uh, Ghost busting in your uh, in your <laughs> Ghostbusters picture. <laughs> I thought you were going to say uh, droppings, droppings. <laughs> Superb. Uh, what, what about you, Si? What have you been enjoying this week? Uh, yeah, so uh, with it being the season of mince pies, pigs in blankets, and jolly rotund men in red velvet, <laughs> I've mainly been watching Christmas movies. I've already seen like about. 80 times (laughs) um but in in the last few weeks i did manage to squeeze in a cinema trip and what i watched the um the card counter was on so i was like oh i'll I'll check that out which is the latest film from paul schrader uh starring oscar isaac as a disgraced former soldier now nomad on the casino trail um who is offered a chance of revenge and potential redemption against his old military colonel it kind of hits a lot of like similar story beats from Schrader's previous works, like Taxi Driver, namely like you know the flawed hero feeling the need to protect like a young stranger sort of thing. But I honestly, on the whole, I just found it like so magnetic. Um, it's just got some like really amazing performances. I don't think Oscar Isaac's been better to be honest. He's he's so good in this film. Nice. It's got this like low key seventies um sort of vibe to it. You know, it's a it's a really like arresting filming style even though it's quite low-key and quite simple um, and it's an amazing sort of synthy score that it, just all these things together in this pot just succeed in pulling you into these two like very different worlds i know nothing about sort of a u.s military system and professional gambling effectively 
are two worlds that have kept at arm's length from the general public. I think, and, you know, maybe I'm just being sort of naive in this, and it's just two things I don't see. But um, yeah, it's a really interesting film. Um, I was a bit surprised to see it's it's all quite letterboxed. Everyone was quite down on it, but I really enjoyed it. I I thought it was a really solid movie and a, a great cinema trip. I I just love trips like that where it's just me in the film and then that's it. Yeah, and there's nothing distracting me and. I feel I enjoy films more, um, and I didn't know anything about it going into it either, and I think that helps as well. Um, I haven't seen a trailer or anything, so um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Cool, cool, nice shout. Yeah, another thing I wanted to shout out, a Japanese TV show on Netflix called Alice in Borderland. There's been like a lot of comparisons to the hugely successful Squid Game, because it's it's like a it contains a bunch of deadly games that this group of friends have to sort of partake in. That's the sort of it's like a real surface level comparison between the two. This is based on a manga graphic novel, so it's a lot more outlandish and uh, action packed than Squid Game, which is you know more grounded in reality with that you know it's that real social political commentary which Korean stuff has been doing quite a lot recently and doing successfully recently. Whereas this is just like sci fi, bit more sci fi, bit more mad, and um, with some really like out there characters and and story developments. The first episode, I was a bit like, bit, it's a bit cheesy, it's a bit late, but it just got better and better as it went on. And loads of genuine surprises in there. Um, it did There was parts of it which did make a lick of sense, but um, <laughs> it, I really enjoyed it. Um, I really did. And it, it, even though it's live action, it's really got those like broad strokes of manga and that that sort of vibe to it. It shouldn't really work in live action, but they managed to pull it off. And yeah, I, re- I really liked it, so... I think if you're into that sort of thing as well, you know, like that manga tone and, and enjoyed Squid Game, but fancy something a bit more sci-fi, a bit more action-packed, this might be up your street. Nice. Nice. Very, very cool. Uh, finally, quickly, I watched Wonder Woman 1984 and it's absolutely atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the first hour and really liked it. Oh, uh, well, carry on then. Um, that was like the- three months ago, bro. <laughs> I liked it so much you didn't finish it. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Well, you do need to reserve about seven <laughs> hours to watch it. It's well, so it. fucking long. Have, yeah. It's ridiculously long. And, you know, there's this, like, battle at the moment about how anyone who thinks a film shouldn't be longer than two hours or whatever. We're apparently the bad guys in that conversation. It's like, this film does not need to be... T- it's like two hours 40 yeah. or something. So unnecessary, like how long it is. It doesn't even make commercial sense to make it that long. Yeah. You can get more screenings if the film's shorter. Mm. Just maths. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Kristen Wiig is very good in it. I I think the cast are very good in it, to be honest. You know, but they're just given the absolute dregs to work with. It's, oh, I just did not get on with it at all. And it's such a shame because the first one's so good. Yeah, oh, yeah that is a real, real shame. Yeah, and it's just, I, d- I don't know what they were thinking when <laughs> they were making this film. <laughs> but it was probably a good thing that it didn't, you know, it kind of got sort of caught up in the COVID thing because it kind of came and went. You know, it was sort of a victim of that rather than a victim of it being rubbish. <laughs> 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 oh. Uh, but no, Rob, please, please. Sorry, I don't want to put you off the second half of it. But um... no, I, I, oh no, I, I'll watch it because um, I know my eldest watched, carried on and watched the rest and really liked it. So um, yeah, when it's family movie night, we'll probably try and watch the second half. Um, speaking of family movie nights, there's been a couple over here. We um, watched uh, again Christmas Spirit, 
Gremlins. Just it's not oh, Christmas yeah. unless you watch Gremlins. Although I have to fast forward the harrowing Santa reveal scene in the bank. You know, with um, Phoebe Cates' character reveals that her dad perished, dressed as Santa, and that's how she finds out. There's so much dark stuff in that movie. <laughs> there really that's is. Totally um, so I asked. Um, yeah, I said, uh, "What you know?" To my middle one, what's the um, what was your favourite bit? And she she said, "And the granny got blasted out the window." <laughs> It is a great bit. There's a similar beat in tonight's film, actually. <laughs> well, I've written, I've got, do you know what I've written in my notes here? Um, Mitch gets Mrs. Deagled out of a window. <laughs> um, which is wonderful. Um, but also on Family Movie Night, um, I was getting ready for Kong versus Godzilla, or Godzilla versus Kong, whichever oh, yeah. way around, to land on the streamers and stuff. And it's finally arrived on Sky Cinema. So I've been working through the other ones, and we watched Kong Skull Island again. I really like that movie. I do. It's really fun. I think it's the best one. Yeah, I do, yeah. I think it is. But the fun like level is amazing. And all the little beats are there that you really want out of a big mega blockbuster movie. Um, none other than when... Um, you know, you've got that mega moment where Kong appears and the helicopters are coming. And Toby Kebbell's character looks through the window. Is that a monkey? <laughs> <laughs> Oh. These are great movies. Uh, Ralph Wiggum's death. I mean, Shea Wiggum's death as well is <laughs> so funny. It's the yes. best yeah. thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and that movie goes quite dark as well, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Yeah, I, in ways I was not, I was not ready for. Um, and uh, I don't know whether the children were ready for either, <laughs> but they've watched it now and they're all okay. Um, but as a recent pick... Um, and it was actually, I watched this immediately after we finished recording last time we spoke. And it was um, the Angelina Jolie fire movie, uh, yes. fire tower movie. Um, the, oh, what's it called? Those who... Wish Me Dead. Wish Me Dead, thank you. It was, because uh, I've got to be honest, I think it could do with a better title. Yeah, I think it'll do with a bit of tunnel. Because I've been wanting to call it all sorts recently, like something about wishing perishment on someone else. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. uh, and... Um, but I, I really did enjoy it because it was pared down and a bit mad and I really liked it. Yeah. I went to the cinema to see that. I think I might have recommended it on this very show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, because it took me a while, but I got there. It landed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it I, did. Liked no, I liked it. Have you seen it, Sai? I haven't. No, it's it's floating around on Now TV, I think. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. It was. I thought when, when Angelina first appeared... And she was being portrayed as this absolute like mega badass woman. And I'm like, you are like biblically beautiful. <laughs> it's not, you know, like just like from a, like yeah. it just like, like insanely sculpted a person. And she's, she's also very, you know, she's a slender person as well, isn't she? So I didn't quite buy it in all the early, fa early scenes. But then later on when she got to show, you know, the, the chops, it was great. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's a good point, that, Rob. She has a bit of the issue that Will Smith possibly has, is that she's so famous yeah, that it's yeah. really sometimes difficult to switch off from the fact that, oh, that's Angelina Jolie running around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was being a big, big Mardi bum in the first few scenes, wasn't she, as well, yeah. and, and misbehaving and all this. And I just didn't quite buy it. Like, you're, you're like royalty in Hollywood too. <laughs> you know yeah but uh, no, I, I, and I really liked it and I like I like it when you get that sense that again nobody's safe you know so there were a few notable character 
Yeah, perish and per- those who wish <laughs> main characters dead. Um, yeah, there was a few of those, which was excellent. But no, so that was, yeah, those were my sort of picks. Obviously, listen nice. to a lot of Sasquatch Chronicles as well. Which is <laughs> of good. course. Well, I mean, um, of course, yeah. Of course. <laughs> Do they have any Christmas specials of Sasquatch Chronicles? Um, I don't <laughs> During the 800 episodes or however. That... 816 <laughs> they're on now. So, uh... <laughs> you know, every episode's about an hour long as well. Like, that's 800 hours of content. Oh, getting the content. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I, honestly, I, lo- I love it. Like, I sit there with a cup of soup. Um, I'll be doing it tonight. Play a bit of golf on the PS4. Uh, this is when everyone's in bed, and turn the volume down on the PS4 and just listen to you know. Uh, we got a caller on line one. How how you doing, caller? I was driving home, and on the road I saw these eyes, and it came out nine feet tall. Like, yes, this is why I'm here. As you're picking in birdies on St Andrews, listening. To- <laughs> yes, yeah. In in slacks I've designed myself. <laughs> I never, you know, I always <laughs> never said I wasn't eccentric, boys. <laughs> yeah, um, although we are dry, I had my last supper, cup of soup. Last, supper coop. <laughs> I had my last cup of soup last night, so there's no, yeah, no cup of, cup of soup for this evening's Sasquatch Chronicles. <laughs> Birdie fest. <laughs> um, anyway, should we go on to tonight's oh. movie? Christmassy themed. Um, we, it was all... When this film was mentioned, it was a question of we're going to do it because it's Christmas themed enough, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's proper Christmassy. It is, isn't it? it more yeah, so than this... I remember. It's, it's yeah, very definitely. Christmassy. Yeah. Um, but it was whose pick was this, or was it just? Did we all agree it? It was a consensus pick, I think. Yeah. It's the magic Lovely. of Christmas that chose this movie. <laughs> well, would anyone like to introduce it? <laughs> I have not prepared anything. Thanks for stepping in, boys. <laughs> well, let's off the top of one Swede. Um, we'll say um, a uh, a school teacher um, realizes that uh, she might have a dark past, uh, as evidenced by her waking up on a beach eight years ago and being pregnant and not remembering anything about it. <laughs> But she starts to remember things, and then the past really comes knocking. Um, of course, this is the long kiss, good night, Rennie Harlins, nineteen ninety six, six speedboat. <laughs> Anyone for tennis? Nineteen ninety six action thriller, the long kiss. I've already said the title. Oh, I've mangled it. I've mangled it. Just roll the trail. Let's do the trail. <laughs> Hello, girls. Caitlin, come help me in the kitchen. Hurry up, because I forget where it is. That's her mom. She's got amnesia. (laughs) What if you couldn't remember your real name, your first kiss, or your last goodbye? I don't remember. Honey, you have an ETA on that cure? Stow it. And then suddenly... I used to do this! I'm a chef! Without warning... All your memories. Name's Charlie. I'm coming back. Came flooding back to you. Isn't Charlie? Long time. One bullet at a time. I got movement on Samantha Kane. Good. I may have a lead on someone. May still have some of her stuff. (gasps) This man is gonna help me find some things out. So we'll be safe. 
Your full name is Charlene Elizabeth Baltimore. This could be trouble. My name is Samantha Kane. No, 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 forget all that. I'm in the PTA. Then quit. You're an assassin working for the United States government. We have 24 hours. We find her and we kill her. Baltimore's alive, sir. Who are you? My name's Charlie. The spy. Back when we first met, you were all like, oh, fooey, I burned the darn muffins. Now, you go into a bar, ten minutes later, sailors come running out. What up with that? This fall. Honk if there's any trouble. Yes, Miss Daisy, I be honking. If you have plans for a calm, quiet evening. Cover your ears. Hey, should we get a dog? It's time to kiss them all. Good night. I love you. Gina Davis, Samuel L. Jackson, The Long Kiss. Good night. Directed by Rennie Harlan. She's lost her memory and everything goes boom. Uh, the long kiss goodnight, gents. Uh, so, James, what's your relationship with this movie? Yeah, it's one of those that I remember seeing back in the 90s, probably on Sky Movies or something like that. And I remember always really enjoying it, finding it very, very funny, thinking Sam Jackson was amazing in it. Uh, but that it hit all the... 90s action beats that you're looking for uh, but it was it just felt different because back in the 90s we did not get a lot of female action heroes particularly in american mainstream movies and it just felt really fresh in that respect so this is a film that i've always had a lot of time for nice nice um i remember seeing the poster and the poster was a Awesome as well, wasn't it? Jackson yeah. and Davis together. Definitely one of those video shop posters where you go past and you're like, oh, I can't wait till I can watch yeah. that. Hang yeah, on, I'm totally. old enough to have been able to watch it immediately. So, Sai, <laughs> <laughs> um, what about your uh, relationship with the movie? Yeah, pretty similar. Like, it certainly wasn't a cinema trip when I was like 10 when it came out. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I definitely remember like seeing a trailer of it or like ads on the telly or, as you say, film posters in the video shop and just really what, desperate to see it mainly because of Samuel L. Jackson and, and you know, all the action-packed goodness it appeared to have. You know, it was at a time when that was really, like, the big entertaining things for little lads our age, really, I guess. Um, I think when I did finally watch it, it, it was it was like a late night, you know, shouldn't really have been watching movies in, in my bedroom with my brother, but we were anyway. <laughs> and, uh, yes, yeah, so I just loved it. I don't think it, like, made its way into into my DVD collection, though. Um, so I hadn't seen it for yonks, you know, being being a lot older and having a better knowledge of Shane Black, because I obviously, when I was a kid, I didn't, who knows who writes these movies? I yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you, know, you know, having a better knowledge of him and, and his writing style, uh, I was really looking forward to checking it out again And after, what is it, like 20 years, 25 years? So yeah, good pick. Mm, mm, um, yeah, very, very similar sort of experience for myself. Um. I don't obviously, yeah, it wasn't a similar trip, but I watched it um, when it was on t- when it eventually found its way to TV. Uh, I remember thinking that the um, the title was really cool. Long Kiss Goodnight is a really cool noir title, and that always held my attention. But yeah, the fact that it had 
mega movie star wattage attached always made it quite something I was quite interested to see. And then when I eventually saw it on TV, I remember really enjoying it. And again, I can't understand why I've not championed this movie more in the intervening years. You know, I just can't remember why it's not really, you know, it's not had any sort of great big Blu-ray criterion editions or anything like that. It seems kind of unloved in a lot of ways, you know, and kind of half buried. Um, So remembering that fondness, you're like, why don't I, why don't I talk about this movie a lot more? You know, was what I thought when you, you know, when we talked about it, uh, about doing it. So um, I was really excited to watch it again. Yeah, really excited. And no, that's going to give away how I feel about it. I won't say that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but does it actually qualify, uh, James, in, in, in sort of budget box office? Yeah. So in the film's opening release, it grossed. Just over nine million, placing third for the films that released that weekend. I think it came out in an October of '96 in the United States and Canada, and the film grossed thirty-three million, uh, thirty-three and a half million, making it a bit of a domestic bomb. Internationally, it fared better, earning a further sixty-two million for a total worldwide gross of ninety-five million against a sixty-five or seventy odd million budget i want to say but when you factor in marketing costs and things like that i think it's barely breaking even if at all mm. yeah it's like a big budget punt for is it new line cinema who made this yeah yeah correct mm. yeah that's quite a big budget isn't it for a, what's effectively just an action movie well the thing is as well rennie harlan he blamed the film's poor performance on confusing advertising uh, but Shane Black wondered whether it might have been more successful if it were, uh, were about a man, basically. I mean, it would have essentially just been the Bourne identity that would be more violent. Yeah. yeah. Um, it has also been suggested that the film's poor advertising campaign and lukewarm reception amongst critics may have been a carryover effect from Rennie Harlan and Gina Davis's previous collaboration, Cutthroat Island, which was released just 10 months earlier and became one of the biggest bombs in box office history. Yeah, that's not going to help, is it? When you've got... (laughs) No. From the people who brought you Cutthroat Island. They're not married (laughs) anymore. I wonder why. Yeah, yeah, so they were married at the time, weren't they? um, Yeah, that's not going to help so soon after that coming out and bombing so hard. Which has been touted a few times to for, for us to cover that yeah. uh, Cutthroat Island because yeah. it was such a spectacular bomb. I've not seen it myself. I've so never seen it myself. No. Neither have I. Yeah, I can't really comment on that. But yeah, it's um, there's a lot of sort of potential reasons why it didn't do, do too well. I think all of those are probably a lot right, to be honest. It sounds like a perfect storm of things mm, not working yes. as well. And I also read that uh, Shane Blackie got paid $4 million for the screenplay. He was the first writer to ever get paid that amount of money for a spec script. Whoa. And I think when something high profile like that happens and people then get the movie in the crosshairs, so it's got to be really, really... Mm. Yes. I mean, I think this is a really good movie, but not to give too much away, but uh, yeah. it's got... A, the critics are already lining up, right, well, what have they paid $4 million here yeah. for? And as a result of all the criticism that he got from that and the envy from other screenwriters, Shane Black basically retired for 10 years. Yeah. And didn't yeah. come back until Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which we've also covered on this pod. Which is also, set also Christmas. a Christmas film. <laughs> yeah. And also written really well. Yeah. yeah. It is weird that, isn't it? Like, because it's definitely a thing. You know, there's a lot of films we've covered where, particularly the ones with big budgets, or there's something where there is a, a large amount of money for a specific bit, you know, whether it's the for the script on this or 
the VFX on John Carter or Tron. Yeah. There is an air that they do, like, there's a cue for people ready to give it a kick in yes. before it's even come out. And I don't think it's unfair to suggest that it's got to have some sort of, like, thing in it where, you know, those sort of things play on people's minds rather than the film itself. It definitely happens in the book world when you find out a book has been bought for a large amount of money. It sort of feels like it's been set up. It not, it's not consciously set up, but the but the like in in um, Hollywood, I suppose it's the you know the trade papers like to shout about it. And yeah, it's the same in the book industry. The book papers like to shout about big deals that get done and whatever. And you can't help thinking that sometimes that's a hindrance rather than a help. Well, it, 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 it's not all even just from a cynical. It might just raise the expectations to an unrealistic yeah, yeah. level. Yes, for as sure. Well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's whereas a great then point. people don't judge it for what it is; they judge it for what it, they think it should be, or what their yeah. idea of masterpiece or quality ultimately is. Yeah, certainly from that audience perspective, that's the case. Where you're going in, going, "All right, this is the most okay." This wasn't the most expensive film ever made, but it was a big budget. You're going in, going, "Okay, well, sort of quantifying budget with quality," which isn't the case at all. But yeah, you are going to be expecting bigger things if the budget is bigger and. It is, it is interesting. There are definitely outside influences. And, you know, like I said before, when I went into that watching the card counter, I knew nothing about it. Hadn't read any reviews or anything. I'd seen a poster, I think, and that was it. And I just like going into films like that where you have nothing. There's nothing influencing you whatsoever. Mm. And I think that's the only fair way to watch movies. Yeah. But it's just it's just impossible, isn't it, to, to watch all the films like that, especially big sort of tentpole releases. So do you think that, um, well, Sai, you'll know whether this had a, an effect on the critics. So this film kind of seems to be one of those sort of old school movies. You know, again, we've said it a few times, films from the 90s and reviews of the time are, are a bit hard to sort of get hold of. But also, in certainly in the case of Rotten Tomatoes, it seems to be one of those films that I've gotten a bit of bump over the years because of, you know, retrospective reviews from like modern websites and you know, a new wave of critics and, and bloggers who, you know, are watching it without those things of the time, you know, the influences of the time and maybe going into it with a bit more of an open mind because it didn't do so well and it's got a, you know, a sort of semi-negative reputation. So, yeah, certainly on that side, it, it currently sits at a pretty solid 70%, both critically and from the audience on Rotten Tomatoes. But on Metacritic, it's a, it's a much lower 44 um, so yeah, it certainly qualifies in on sort of critical reception, certainly of the time. Um, it holds a mighty eight point two on the user reviews on that website, Ooh. you know, and a, and a pretty solid three point three as well on Letterboxd. So it, I, I certainly think it's one of those films that seems to have found an audience over the years, and sort of and and has been sort of retrospectively looked at again um, and given a sort of second chance. It is still a bit of a buried film, let's be honest. But um, mm. yeah, I think certainly in 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 those circles, it, it you know from film audiences, it it seems to have not necessarily a cult following, but um, a bit of love. Um, at the time of release, there was a lot of positives going around. To be honest, it, it wasn't a, a sort of like you know they weren't kicking it while it's down sort of thing. There was a lot of love for the on screen rapport of Gina Davis and Sam Jackson, you know, owing a lot to Shane Black's zinging script with Todd McCarthy of Variety lauding the offbeat character interplay and Kevin Thomas of the LA Times praising its technical brilliance, 
flashes of humor and wild spirit of adventure. Um, but he found the cumulative impact of its avalanche of mayhem so numbing it's enough to shrivel your soul. God, what does he think of Marvel films? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that was a sort of common thread in terms of the negative side of what Craig said. Um, Desson Thompson of the Washington Post slammed its excessive amount of excess. And uh, Rita Kempley, uh, also of the Washington Post, um, added, it's simply the same old action-packed guff. I'm not sure you said guff is such an odd word to have in printed medium. <laughs> so <nice>. Really <laughs> uh, enjoyed that. So while, you know, while there were things to admire uh, from the critical fraternity, it, it does seem there was a certain amount of, of, of like, dare I say, like down the nose snootiness um, yes. that came across in, in some of the reviews. Um, certainly because it was an action film in the mid 90s explosions <laughs> happened quite a lot um but yeah no it's uh it's it's an interesting one this one it's so funny to look back at those reviews from the time because i don't think it is that excessive compared to what constitutes an action movie nowadays in terms of entire cities being leveled or picked up and dropped back <laughs> yeah. down to earth again or yeah, it's just got a few explosions and a few gun battles, like yeah, yeah, which, which you <laughs> would probably expect from uh, you know from a, yeah from a you know a, a government assassin who's uh, thinks she's thwarting some terrorist plot. You know, there's going to be some fisticuffs and oozies and <laughs> yeah. stuff, isn't there? Yeah, I always like that. Well, I like I like recording all of this, but I particularly enjoy hearing where what hills critics have decided to die on. Yeah, which are quite. I've always thought that's quite fun. But I, I I totally think you're right as well, James. Where you say like you know it's it's really not excessive compared to nowadays. And yeah, like I say on you know Rotten Tomatoes does count in reviews over time, and people have looked at it more positively over the years. Probably like appreciating the fact that it's written so well. Yeah. Which let's be honest, this sort of genre of film, the the writing is not necessarily the strong point. No. And you finally got one where it is written so well yeah and it's just a shame that seems to have been glossed over at the time well shane black is that is the king of this genre he isn't is, he yeah. this sort of noir inflect action movie yeah it's what he's done for his entire career for the most part he even made iron man 3 into a noir inflect christmas action movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's true um, yeah, it's very much a question of find what you know you're good at and stick with it yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. And that's it. Yeah. yeah, nobody writes action films like him at all. No, none. There's no one doing this. And we don't have anyone like that now. You know, and yeah. I, I watched a big budget action film uh, called Red Notice on Netflix and it was absolutely dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> was it? As, did you watch that Six Underground as well? Was it better or worse than that? Oof, I mean, that's a real... Two baldies fighting over a comb. <laughs> I'd probably say that uh, Six Underground was better just because it had a visual sensibility, even if it gave me a headache. Yeah. <laughs> I had to, usually, I, I don't like watching films in several sittings, but I had to take several breaks watching Six Underground. It was oh, so yeah. full on. <laughs> it was just like nauseating. It was like the most expensive sizzle reel you've ever seen in your life. It lasts two and a half hours. <laughs> Just a series of really high budget music videos just like melting my eyes. It was insane. Um, but in terms of like Shane Black's sort of video, where does this sort of sit in his filmography in terms of scripts? 
I find that an interesting question, Si. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, obviously, his filmography isn't extensive. No. You know, it's it's quite tight. And you can separate it between, you know, really starkly between writer and uh, director, can't you? Yeah. He wrote Lethal Weapon. These are some of the some of the best movies ever. Yeah, it's iconic uh, stuff. On his, his list. Yeah, I, yeah, iconic stuff. Thanks, James. Yeah, really iconic stuff. But where does it sit? I think it's towards the top. I really do. I do, yeah. I think Lethal Weapon is probably the... Are we separating just his screenplays or his directorial work? I think... Let's just do screenplays because he's just written this one. Yeah, so Lethal Weapon is probably his best. And then I think the Nice Guys and the... uh, And Kiss Kiss Bang Bang obviously directed those as well, but he he wrote the screenplays for those as well. And then this is right up there with, with those, I would say. Yeah. And I quite like Iron Man 3, even though I'm not really into Marvel films. I, I do really enjoy Iron Man 3. Yeah, I loved the the thing everyone hated about Iron Man 3, the Trevor Slattery thing. I love that. I, you know, like in the cinema, it was like an audible, like, ha! <laughs> when that happened. <laughs> People didn't like it because he came in and took the piss, basically. Like... <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was Oscar-winning Ben Kingsley just being like this crappy scouse actor. It just... <laughs> I thought it was genius. I thought it was so funny. I don't like. Just, I was baffled why everyone hated that. I thought it was really because those films don't surprise you very much, and yeah. to have this humongous villain in that Marvel universe just be a joke. Oh, <laughs> 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 it was great, and he just got he got so much crap for that. It'll always sit up, sit up to me that moment when I found out, you know, what I suppose the same for us all when we found out that Shane Black was going to write and direct Iron Man three. You know what? <laughs> super, super. So I do like it. So because he'd, so he was hot property at the time because he'd done obviously Lethal Weapon was the one what yeah you know this guy was the toast of the town after Lethal Weapon, and then Last Boy Scout was the. One before this, was it? Yeah, I think uh, Last Action Hero was the one before this. Let's talk about Last Action Hero. I didn't realise he'd written The Monster Squad. That's one of my favourite movies. I absolutely love yeah, that. Film. Yeah, that's a good... Yeah. That's, it, it's all good. It's all good stuff. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sheesh. So, yeah, he was hot stuff at the time. Considered, well, like you said, you know, got him paid the big bucks just for his script, and that was kind of unheard of to, for writers yeah. to get paid that much. Yeah. That was one of the things what really stood out to me straight away, just how well this film is written and how Oof, yeah. the dialogue is so snappy and, and it feels like you know okay it would be quite the coincidence to have so many charismatic people like firing off zingers left right and center but <laughs> it just feels like it's a you know you're, you're just sat there watching real people talk and it's not beyond the realms of um you know it's not you know what was a little showdown in tokyo some of the lines in that were just ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> this is just a different league. Are you comparing this dispar- that this in a disparaging way? <laughs> yes, Robert. But I do know what you mean. I do know what you mean. I'm a big enough boy to admit that. Um, not quite as big as Dolph Lundgren, though, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Got to take that out. Can't keep that. Um... Are you talking about his penis? Oh, sorry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it's welcome back to the podcast, Rennie Harlan. Oh, yeah. Come on I, back. I mean, how do we feel about Rennie Harlan? I'm quite disparagingly sort of go, if you can't get John McTiernan or Tony Scott in the 90s, then yeah. you go and get Rennie Harlan. <laughs> That's the... Basically, yeah. But he's got some good stuff. So he, he did Die Hard 2, right? He, he did, did Die Hard 2. Oh, yeah. I love Die Hard 2. 
Cliffhanger, in- incredible movie. Oh, Cliffhanger's Love great. Cliffhanger. Yeah, Cliffhanger's great. Yeah. Deep Blue Sea of this parish, obviously. obviously. And <laughs> when we did Deep Blue Sea, wasn't didn't we find out that Sam Jackson did that because of this? Because yeah. he enjoyed working with him so much on this. And uh, yeah, I read somewhere as well that he said it, this is one of his favourite characters he's ever played. Yeah. Um, Mitch. Good old Mitch. Uh, yeah, we, we, I mean, we, we, we need to wax lyrical about Sam Jackson in this movie. And Gina Davis, of course. But I just, yeah, there's a lot to talk about here. Sorry, can I just add 12 rounds? The John Cena vehicle was directed by Jenny Harlan. <laughs> Jenny Harlan. Jenny Harlan. Jenny Harlan. And um, a big favour of mine, the Dyatlov Pass incident he directed as well. What is that? No idea what that is. Is that a Bigfoot <laughs> picture? <laughs> no, no. But um, this, this, well, this, yes. A group of students go to the location of the infamous Dyatlov Pass incident to make a documentary, but things take a turn for the worse as the secret of what happened there is revealed. It's got me written all over it, basically. It sounds like a Bigfoot movie. It does sound like a Bigfoot movie. <laughs> it's not a Bigfoot movie. I promise you it's not a Bigfoot movie. Well, it's because Lance Henriksen's not in it. That's the giveaway why it's not. <laughs> yes, usually. Is he on the cast? No, he's not on the cast. It's not a Bigfoot picture. <laughs> yeah, so Rennie Harlan, good. I mean, he's still working now, but I think it's fair to say that he did all of his best work in the 90s. Mm. Yes. I think that's fair, yeah. He's a solid pair of hands, isn't he? He is, yeah. That's what I'm trying to say without it sounding like I'm being disparaging towards him. But, you know, you're going to get a fun enough movie by a long way with Rennie Harlan being involved. Where's he from? Where, where's Finland, I believe. I see. So for a Finnish dude to make as a huge 90s action director, yeah. <laughs> well done to him. Good on He's you, the, mate. the most <laughs> successful Finnish film director in the history of Hollywood. Yeah. Well, he might have written that himself yeah. <laughs> on IMDb. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think he's aged like a fine wine. He's got a bit of the Jurgen Klopp's going on. Yeah, he's a very handsome yeah. man. Yeah, he is a very handsome um, man. And he was married to Gina Davis, as we've discussed. Who he was? Yeah, we'll use this as a, a seamless segue to dive straight into the movie. But uh, Gina Davis, yeah, is is the the title character of Sam Kane, Samantha Kane who lives in a small town with her daughter. And uh, she doesn't really know a lot about her past at all. And uh, straight away, that's a, such a, a good start, isn't it? In terms of building narrative and creating a mysterious world and stuff like that. I was really hooked and invested into this right from the very start. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Shane Black, possibly influenced slightly by the Robert Ludlum Bourne novels. Mm. And this is like five five years before that first Bourne movie comes out. Yeah. And it's just weird how people will latch onto that, but not on this, which has pretty much the same setup as that movie. Mm. Mm. Better movie as well. Uh, well, yeah. Was... <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. Um, yeah. Uh, and she's living a lovely little life. She's got, um, they're having lovely Christmas times. And yeah. she's, her daughter is really um, attached to, or getting along really well with, sorry, her, her new partner who's, just a lovely chap, just a inoffensively nice, like dependably banker-looking guy. You know what? He should have been. This guy should have played the the role of Howard Langston in uh, Jingle All the Way. As yes. in, like he does look like a mattress salesman. This guy, he does. <laughs> yeah, gorgeous yeah. floppy-haired mattress salesman. <laughs> he probably can't knock out a reindeer though. Let's be <laughs> well. This is it. Although there is some reindeer violence coming. Oh, there is. Oh no, it's. It's a. It's, I think it's just a regular deer, isn't it? It's not. A but after a Christmas party, it's Christmas she, is a reindeer. Yeah, she yeah. drives home a sozzled. He's a, 
idiot, this man. <laughs> Puts his hand in front of Gina's face while she's driving, like, I'm not drunk, I'm not drunk. It, oh, during the most hazardous time of year, there's snow yeah. going everywhere, there's probably black ice on the roads, and he's waving his big sausage-fingered hand in front of his face. What she's giving you a ride home, mate. What are you doing? <laughs> and and uh, yeah, he drops the his and and then there's like a lovely animatronic deer in the middle of the road. You know, like lovely. Again, we're gonna have to talk about this, but practical effects everywhere, nearly everywhere, nearly everywhere. And, <laughs> yeah, and it thrives because of that. Absolutely thrives because of that. So I love it when this minging like animatronic deer gets poleaxed <laughs> off into the trees. Yeah. This is probably like just on the cusp of when big, huge VFX was being used in films yeah. like this. Yeah. There was obviously a few bits here and there, but it wasn't like, you know, they weren't modeling whole, well, deers in the road on it yeah. at this point, which, is, <laughs> which they would be doing now. Yeah, that would be CGI now, wouldn't it? Yeah. Which yeah, is sadly, yeah. I just, I love the idea that this animatronic deer might be in Rennie Harlan's like attic or, you know, or it might be pride of place in the corner of his dining room i don't know just yeah. i want to know where these props are these amazing props and she goes flying through the windshield it's a seriously violent car accident it really is in the film like, doesn't the idiot get torched as well oh he yeah get... like he's like he well the deer kicks him in the face because it's flailing it through the smashed windscreen <laughs> kicks him in the face knocks him unconscious and then the car ploughs into a tree. Gina Davis goes through the other side of the windshield into the snow. The deer follows after her. It's just carnage everywhere. And then the poor drunk, the car goes up with him inside it. And nobody <laughs> mentions it at all. Yeah, like, no one mentions it. Dear Uncle Derek got singed to bits in the same car accident he caused. Yeah, there's no like, there's no uh, conclusion to whether he did that. Not even like a little nod or reference, like, oh, he got out. Oh, thank God he got out. No, they just, just like, oh, he probably did just melt in the car. <laughs> he wouldn't notice. He was so drunk anyway. Nobody went to his funeral or anything. No, no. <laughs> it would have been there. Christmas. <laughs> I know, I know. What's bothered? <laughs> the forgotten, forgotten dead family member. Probably got like grandchildren and everything. Just yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Where? Where is that guy? You know, whether at Christmas next week, where is that fella? What happened to him? Um. Like, oh dear. Um. But it's it's such a wow bang opening here, and then she yeah. gets up and she crawls across to this stricken deer who's harrowingly still alive, yeah. and, <laughs> and um, puts it. <laughs> <laughs> Puts it out of its misery with one of those good old-fashioned Van Damme neck breaks. Yeah, um, and then it's great like, to see. Oh, there's something. Well, we know it because we've seen the opening credits that there's something, yes. and we've probably read the film synopsis. But if you hadn't, if you've actually got it in the vacuum, yeah. then you'd be like, oh, there's something deep, deeply buried within Samantha Kane's past here. Yes, and it could be the fact that Sam Kane is an anagram of amnesia. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, but um, can you imagine going into this cold? That would have been so good. Yeah. You would never, if you'd never seen a still or anything about this and you didn't know anyone who was in it or anything like that, it would have been so great. Well, you're just going to, it's like a jolly family Christmas adventure at the beginning, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it certainly takes a turn. Yeah. I, like, especially if you overlaid that lovely <laughs> from Home Alone over it, could be a spiritual sequel. Um, the. Uh, 
she gets oh she's in the hospital isn't she yeah and um this is where things start to unravel for her because it sort of kickstarts some kind of memory memory retrieval in her and characteristics start emerging like being handy with knives yeah and um being a bit mean to a daughter <laughs> who breaks her wrist and <laughs> is forced to skate on it <laughs> um and it's all fun uh, i'm having yeah, yeah. a lot of fun with this the pacing's great as well yeah, it it really zips along this op- opening half hour. It's really, it's really everything's set up so well, and I think that's one of the good things of you know a lot of credit goes to Shane Black on this that he explains everything well and everything's got a reason. As as ridiculous as it may be, it it's all plausible because of how he mm. sets it all up and how well he sets it all up. But she's um she's like at a Christmas parade, isn't she? And she gets recognised by this oh, yeah. unsavoury man in prison with one eye. A bald um, cyclops, yeah. <laughs> who, yeah, goes absolutely nuts um, and escapes prison. And you're like, oh, she's, you know, she's got some history with some real bad men. And she can also chop carrots really fast. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, just, just great. Um, while this is happening as well, we're sort of being sideways introduced to Mitch, aren't yes. we? Um who is um, Samuel L. Jackson in what he says, as of 2019, was his favourite ever role. I love 90s Sam Jackson. He's just brilliant. Like Because after Pulp Fiction, he just falls into these, doing these sort of, um, you know, mid to higher budget thrillers and usually plays the comedic sidekick. So obviously he has Die Hard with a Vengeance, which he's amazing in as well. Mm. Uh, and this, and then like six other credits, because he never stops working. Some art house stuff, some some other thrillers before he then does Jackie Brown. And then as he gets into the 2000s and whatnot, he gets wrapped up in various different franchises. So he's in Star Wars, he's in the Marvel franchise, as, as we know now. But back in the 90s, he was just the guy you'd go to for the for the co-lead in, in action movies. And yeah. it's just he's just always brilliant. He and is. He's particularly good in this movie. He's particularly good, he's right. He, and the material he's given is excellent as well. He's and so it's not funny. just he's not just there being funny. He's got a really good character arc as well. Yeah. I really like his character arc. I really like his principles. He's a complicated guy. And I think all of this shines through. And he is this for me, this is the best I've ever seen him, I think. He's one of those who can, no matter what character he plays, no matter how sort of low life they are on paper, he's always likable. Yeah. Yes. You know, he he's got enough sort of um just this like really soft nature and funny nature that that you just like him and you know maybe he's not as bad as uh, Jules in pulp fiction but um you know he's he's likable in that as well even though he's a horrible man <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's true and it's yeah it's the same here like what i can i did admittedly i did kind of sh- it took me a while to clock what he what who he was in terms of He's a private investigator, right? He is, Hired yeah. by... He used to be her. a police officer who was sent to jail for stealing things, which is a that hilarious so reveal. It really is. It's like, did he frame you? Oh, no, I stole no, the No, I stole it. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he comes out, and he says he's a private investigator, he's actually a con artist, because he's, yeah. like he's like doing vice raids with homeless people to, to bribe rich businessmen out. Um, yes. <laughs> Well, that's when we when we meet him for the first time. He's in bed with a like a you know a call girl who's he's working with, isn't he? You know. Yeah. And um, can we welcome back to the the podcast, please, Rex Lynn? Oh yes, from Abominable. Yes, he got it. He got it. Yes, <laughs> Farmer Hoss in Abominable. Excellent. Brilliant. Um, 
And I, I, this, these snappy scenes are so great. They, none of them ever last very long or anything like that. They're so charged, though, with life and electricity. And um, it's just so, so watchable, all of this. And eventually, um, cogs are working in the background. And we're, we're introduced to Craig Bierko. Craig Bierko. <laughs> the American Lister himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was the Lister and the pilot of yeah. Red Dwarf, the American Red Dwarf. Was he uh, really? Was, wow. He was, yeah. Uh, I think they only did, it didn't get past pilot stage, I don't think. Right, okay. It was It was pretty bad. Um, Would anyone like to give a little bit of a, um, a, 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 <laughs> a little bit of a rundown as to why this guy, we are fond of this guy? It's so fascinating. Craig Bierko, Craig, Craig Bierko. <laughs> anyone? Please, Rob, do explain. I, well... We, when we were at film school together, we were given our end of year projects. We were usually given a hundred quid to make a movie with it, and it felt like you know, like it was such a great exercise. And we all, you know, took different roles behind the camera and stuff like that. And we go on one of those sort of casting websites to try and find someone to come in and do it, and you know, an actor. And at this particular film that the three of us were involved on. I, I must. I wasn't. I wasn't actually. I've only heard this story. Oh, seriously, James? Oh, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, because um, it's so embedded in the past, I, I assumed that all three of us had been involved. Um, but this, so this actor appeared, and do you want to say a little bit about him? Uh, yes, I. He was a. He was an interesting chap. Um, <laughs> what's a soft way of saying um, he is, was very up himself? <laughs> I think that's quite yeah. It's probably fairly soft there. Yeah. yeah. Um. He he was. Uh, I mean he he loved a story, didn't he? And he and he you know he knew a lot of people and apparently um, apparently. apparently and one of the people he apparently knew was uh, Craig Bierko and he name dropped him regularly, didn't he? As if as you know as if Craig Bierko was this big time actor. And he was like, but most people wouldn't really know. <laughs> What made it even more embarrassing was the first few times he name dropped him. He called him Chris Bierko. Yes, I I thought that. Yeah, yeah. he did. I thought that, and I was like, "I'll just get my friend Chris Bierko." Um, Yeah. Did you mean? Do you mean? Do you mean Craig Bierko from The Longest (laughs) Goodnight? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, Uh, and he. uh, You know, I mean, obviously, we're sort of fifteen years, sixteen years down the line from this occasion. And he's that 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 actor who was gave it all, you know, was giving it all the big one, still isn't a household name. So <laughs> read into that what you would like. I can't even remember what he was called. Um, no, I can't either. I can't. I don't either. know what he was called. Um, but um, it was a. Uh, it was. He was quite. Funny. <laughs> I wonder if he's still friends with Chris slash Craig. Uh, well, I don't know. I, you know, I'm here on IMDb looking for details of this long and storied um, relationship between. <laughs> Chris Bierko and this guy, um, <laughs> but I'm not seeing it. <laughs> anyway, um, I Chris, Chris, I'm going to start calling him Chris now. Craig Bierko um, is, and I can't say it without going Craig Bierko. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he is like imbued with a mad smarmy. Oh, he's like high smarm. It oh. really is, isn't it? But it for me, it really works. It does. Yes. Yeah. I wonder why he never took off. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? I'm sure he's really worked weird. consistently and done some good stuff o- over the years. I-, I remember seeing him in a TV show about all these horrible people who run the behind the scenes on a uh, on a reality TV show, and he was really good in that. And it was like 20 years after this, so he'd you know he'd got older and put a 
and bulked up a little bit, but he never really popped after. I never remember seeing him in anything after this. No, it's really, really strange. Um, he's still working, obviously. Right, well, right, right now he's still working. Um, he's still got work. Good man. Um, and yeah, the, the, you get the revelation sort of that you know she knows he knows. Sorry, who Gina Davis really is, and there's other shady people who also seem to know who you know, she really is. And there's high government people. Even the president is involved at one point while he's making yeah. a sandwich <laughs> in the middle of the night, which is a brilliant touch in the White House kitchens because we all know we'd be doing that. And um, they, they go to Gina Davis's house to take her out, but uh, they get away and she gets away with um, Mitch because he's she's paid Mitch uh, to, to look into her past. I'm mangling all of this, but it's probably best if we get through this convoluted bit quite quickly, I feel. Yeah, so Mitch has been hired to look up her past life, and she says in the in the opening voiceover that um, you know she's down to the cheaper private investigators now. She's burned through all of her money trying to find out who she really is. And anyway, he happens to come to her house on the night when an escaped convict attacks her at her home, mm. which is nice, and she murders him. She really made it in. And that's just be- just after she lobs her kid out of a window. A brilliant, a brilliant touch. <laughs> what I love about this guy is just escaped from prison and he comes to her house, but he's not just come with a standard shotgun. He's got the one that's got the grenade rocket launcher on the <laughs> bottom. The lapis, <laughs> Where did he get that from? Yeah, how did he source that on the way out of prison? <laughs> is the inference that the government have hooked him up? Yes. I, I, oh, I is that so, what it yeah. is? Oh, that would that would make total sense, <laughs> yeah. of course. Because we later find out there's a larger conspiracy at play, don't we? Yes, involving the the, the good guys are bad guys, basically. And um, yeah, she would. Be, I guess they were would worried she'd be a whistleblower because she's starting yeah. to figure out who she is. Well, they thought she was dead, didn't they? Oh yeah, yes. sorry, they did. Yeah, because um, Craig Bierku was <laughs> supposed to have killed her, wasn't he? Oh no, the the guy with one eye was supposed to have killed her, yeah. but he she stabbed his eye and then. Fell in a river. She shot it. She got <laughs> shot in the head. Yeah, that's and that's all the amnesia stuff is from from that injury, isn't it? But yeah, and then it's like we're at the races now. Yeah. And it's just um, we're know, away. She's, yeah, she's tries to just basically piece this history together because it's it's all starting to come in sort of dribs and drabs, and Mitch is along the ride with her, which you know he goes through the rigor in this movie for us. <laughs> he really <laughs> does, doesn't he? He's really not getting does. paid much either at all. Then. <laughs> He's really not. He gets tortured on at least two separate occasions during this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very true. Very true. As a du- they're a double act, really, essentially, yeah. from this moment on, aren't they? It becomes a buddy cop movie almost. It, it is, isn't it? Yeah. And but it's a really good pairing. It's great. They go to see um Brian Cox. Welcome back to the podcast. I totally forgot he was in this movie. Didn't even yeah. realise he was in this movie. And if you've got an actor to deliver the words of Shane Black as dry and funny as it, as, it, yeah. as it is on the page, Brian Cox is the guy to do it. I was howling every time he said anything in this movie. He's so funny in this movie. <laughs> and again, like in Manhunter, just three scenes, he's in and he's out, yeah. and he absolutely smashes yeah. it out of the park. Snatches the whole movie. <laughs> One of those scenes, he's talking about a dog who's licking its asshole at the desk. Yeah, yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, he's the sort of ex-handler, I suppose, of uh, who we're now becoming to realise isn't Samantha Kane all along, but 
what's her name? Charlie Baltimore. Charlie Baltimore. I mean, the character names are so good as well. That is they just are, on the yeah. money. That That is a great name yeah. for a female assassin. Yeah. Um, and they go to the train station in, in sort of the, the the second sort of big action. But this is even bigger. Act. Yeah. This is, no, this is the the big action of the uh, sequence of the middle of the movie here. It's just mega. They're at the train station. Um, Chris Bierko, um gives them the nod that, yep, that's her. And then, bam, they're going to do a hit in broad daylight at the station. And it's just super, super fun and exciting. And there's people getting iced everywhere. And do love a bit of collateral damage in these movies. Squibs <laughs> going off everywhere. Slow yeah, motion. just absolutely everywhere. Pixelated um, fireballs chasing them down hallways. <laughs> yes, yes. And then this, this moment that I remember from the trailer, which is this... They both dive out of a window and she blasts the ice with a machine gun. Oh, it, yeah. It's achingly cool. Yeah. yeah. And I, I guess this is what the critics are getting at, is that the action isn't realistic, but compared to what you see now in action movies, I was like, you know what? I'd buy that. Yeah, jump out of a window oh, yeah. and shoot through the ice that's covering a pond outside. Yeah, great. Oh, yeah. yeah. No problem. 100%. I, 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 and it fits because they're building the world. You know, they've been building this world into a... Yeah, an exciting, treacherous place, haven't they? And yeah, this action sequence is great. They manage to to get themselves out of there, and they're soaked, aren't they? And this is when Brian Cox shows up, but they don't trust him, <laughs> and they heel turn him almost immediately. It's great. After Sam Jackson has put all of his golf gear on, which is just—I was just laughing my head off when I was oh, watching. Was so, <laughs> well, with the, this with is the, with the only... trademark Kangol hat. It was yeah, his, it must have been in a contract at the time to just wear Kangol hat. But only in a Shane Black film oh, would this so happen. Good. Yeah, you know the putting on the sort of elderly <laughs> guy's golf outfit. <laughs> Absolutely superb. I love how we're calling Brian Cox elderly here, right? He's, he's like, and he's he's still working now. He's like, maybe what? No, I know, like I know. But... He was about fifty odd during. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, I know, I know. But uh, uh, what I really tried to say is older than they are. He's one of those guys though who's always been about fifty five years old. Yeah, yes, that yeah. I've always <laughs> seen Brian yeah. Cox as an old no dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even in Manhunter, that was in nineteen eighty six. <laughs> he's effectively the Basil Exposition in the film, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's just yes. there. He, he just explains, you know, either side of his humorous uh, quips about dogs bumholes <laughs> um, and going to the zoo, which was a, which was a really good line. He, yeah, he, he's the one who reveals that to Charlie that she was an assassin for the government. It all went to pot for her when she failed to kill an arms dealer, wasn't it? Yeah, they found. Brian Cox's name through like a briefcase, didn't they? So they they then like going through all the people from this briefcase, which then takes them to, you know, they don't trust Brian Cox, and then that leads them to David Morse, isn't it? In a in his little lovely sort of countryside cabin, and she thinks that this is uh, her ex sort of fiance. Yeah, because she knows loads of intimate details about him. Yes, like that he's got yes. a pin in his leg and he sits down when he pees. <laughs> <laughs> you know the one thing the one plot strand that I struggle with with this movie is that she got shot in the head and ended up an amnesiac that was eight years earlier right but were these guys still planning to carry out this same plot because these are all because the larger plot of the movie the Operation Honeymoon or whatever it's called mm. was that what she was trying to thwart eight years ago and have they just not been doing anything for that? time until she gets her memory back. That is a good point. That is a good point. What actually. was he being, Is it just that he was just an arms dealer? 
back then, and that was it was unrelated to this. It just seems a little convenient. And it's a movie, so fair enough, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Movie logic. Like it's a long period of time, and they've just for them not like... to have done anything, and now she's in bed. He's in bed with the guys that she used to work for, basically. Hmm. Well, I guess the. I mean, because the one guy who was sort of involved with it was in prison, so they must have had to sort of lay low, I guess. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Sort yeah. of put it on ice. But it is quite funny how it's like they remember that Charlie Baltimore's alive and they're like, oh, yeah, the, she was the one who stopped, stopped that plot. That was a good idea, actually. Yeah, let's do it again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been probably long enough now. Maybe we should try and do that again. <laughs> it's fine. I'm willing to let it go. I just thought... I think it's a fair point, though. Why have though. they I not done anything in the last eight years? <laughs> <laughs> and why is this they're getting the gang back together again yeah <laughs> during this period um where you know there's no trust or gina davis is too quick to trust and sam jackson's not having any of it he's not not keen whatsoever at all but he's i, I like how he's at this point in the film he's largely rubbish <laughs> you know, he's, he's not very capable at all and i really like this but that's it because that becomes more pronounced as the film goes on because he's very much an everyman he used to be a police officer but he's not an action hero by any any stretch but as she mm. makes the mm. full transformation into charlie baltimore she's literally like black widow <laughs> when, yes it's really hard yeah it sort of all fully comes back now doesn't it where they're sort of tortured by david morse and uh craig Bierke. <laughs> and yeah yeah it all just comes back and it's like new hair new me <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but the to- the torture's so full on, isn't it? She's like on a water wheel, isn't it? Being dunked in. It's, it's such a good scene. Freezing cold water, and unfortunately, yeah. poor old Brian Cox has been offed in the interim, and he's under there. And there was a moment earlier in the film where he's explaining that he always keeps a <laughs> keeps a pistol right here next to Mister Wally because no one yeah. actually check that. So it's she has so to go good. into corpse Brian Cox's trousers to get a gun out and then shoot <laughs> David Morse as he brings her back up out the water and yeah and then she kills everybody at the farmhouse and frees Sam Jackson and then did they go to Atlantic City I think that's where they go yeah that's where they go next yeah when she's underwater about to drown she like that life or death situation fully reignites the return of Charlie Baltimore yeah mm. and um that's yeah when she remembers to go digging around in Mr. Wally. <laughs> and um I mean even Brian Cox is brilliant in this scene. <laughs> Don't think that's actually him, Rob. <laughs> what? I'd like to think he's got that in like his games room in his house, like just what, the, he's the... caught his mannequin corpse from the long kiss goodnight over in the corner. Constantly pranking his wife with just like, <laughs> leaving it around the house. <laughs> so it was such an iconic scene though, freezing water on a big water wheel. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I really, really like it. Um, and I do think, you know, this film's shot really well too. Yeah. It you is. know, none so more than in this scene in the snow here. Um but the yeah the farmhouse stuff is great. Sam Jackson watching it nude and beaten at the bottom, you know, underneath floorboards, watching the light, you know, disturbed light above and hearing thunks on the floorboards as people go down. And then she has that mega reveal with the guns at the top, you know, in a sort of a nightdress kind of thing. And with the guns at the top of the steps. Very cool. It's all super cool. It is like unfair to sort of ban this in with the sort of generic action flicks of the 90s when it's definitely more than that yeah um yeah certainly from a filmmaking's perspective it's 
they go to so many different places as well, and then you've got all this Christmas setting, and it all looks really fucking cold. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, yeah. And it, it just looks really good. And you've got Gina Davis just, like, absolutely loving it, um, playing what's essentially two different roles, and she's just getting, like, more and more of a badass. And she's just so much fun. And, it's yeah, as I say, it's just so snide to just be, like, dismiss this as a 90s standard 90s action flick when it's just way more than yeah. that. If it had had totally Stallone or, or Steven Seagal, which I've read was seen as a potential option in the lead role, then yeah, you could accuse it of being <laughs> you know, standard well, sort of action 90s flick, but the fact that it is a female lead, it just subverts all those tropes that you're so used to seeing from the likes of Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis and Sly Stallone. Sheesh. Yeah, I do think this is this is such a cut above, and it's still it's a cut above as more time goes by. Most movies of the genre, mm-hmm. to be honest. But from there, we're Ant- Atlantic City, and it's like the full superhero reveal. She gets a costume on, which yeah. just so happens to be a very cool, iconic look of short peroxide hair, slick back, and dark eye makeup. And I often think some of the best costumes are the most simple as well. Absolutely, um, and it is simple, isn't it? This this change, but so stark. I remember honestly uh, back in the nineties when I saw like the trailer for this, or when I first saw the film, I was convinced that it was a different person playing the two roles that Samantha Kane was being played by Gina Davis, and then they just found like some action hero woman to play. I couldn't even... It was such a transformation in terms of the look that I just couldn't... Yeah. My tiny brain would not let me put the two together, but, you know, it's, it's just called acting and makeup and hairstyles. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, it's brilliant. And, and it, it does need pointing out, and I think now now that she sort of splits off into this other, other version of herself for a while, it does need pointing out just how good she is in this film. Yeah, oh, it's incredible. She's she fabulous is. in this movie. Um, and then, you know, I think as as her character development continues, she goes to, into sort of like a hybrid mode of the two. Yeah. Which is even more challenging. So she's really playing three roles in the movie, if anything. Um, but it, but it's great. And the Atlantic City stuff is loads of fun. Sam Jackson is, is not knowing what to do about any of this, but my word, he's drinking through it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and um, she, you know, comes on to him. Quite well, quite strong at one point, I think it's fair to say, and he rebuffs her, and I just I love that it it, it it because nothing has the neat little right. We've got to have a romantic moment. No, you don't have to. Mm, yeah, it's too lazy to do that, and I love the fact that they don't. It's great. Yeah, there is a spark between the two of them, but Definitely. it's never, but it's never gone any further than that because it's not necessary, and certainly in the nineties, I guess even now. There is always that desire to make things romantic and when yeah. it's just not necessary. It's just great when you do see a film when it subverts that and doesn't do that. And it is quite refreshing to see. And you know, and, and she's using her sort of sexuality now to her advantage. It's so funny when she like flashes her boobs so she can distract Take him to, to rip off his, his dressing. <laughs> so funny. Um, but yeah, it's just that their dynamic and the two of them it's just so much fun and it doesn't ever stop it's just constantly banging through this this amazing dialogue between the two of them and yeah if you're not picking the right actors to deliver those lines and the whole cast is just pit it's all cast so well and and credit to harland as well for like directing all that to get it all delivered as i imagine shane black intended it to come out because they're all just great, and it all just comes across, and it's all a success. 
I just I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's all a success. Love it. Um, we we sort of we're on the sort of like the home straighty bit now, aren't yeah, we? Yeah. So Ch- Charlie's sort of rejecting the fact that she's a mother now, isn't she? Because as far as she's concerned, Samantha Kane had the child and and she didn't, even though she because she didn't know she was pregnant when she was shot in the head. She feels that that's a different person and that she wants to skip the country. Basically, she knows that the that the government aren't going to bring her in because she nearly gets killed in a in a fantastic alleyway shootout, which is both funny and really well choreographed as well. Yes. Uh, and she returns back to her home to get a key for a, a safe or a locker that's got, like, you know, standard spy stuff in it, loads of passports and, uh, and money, we're led to believe. And it's at this point that her daughter gets kidnapped, isn't it? And that mm. sort of leads us into the third act of the film. It, yes, Thank you for dragging us through that bit there, James. <laughs> I, I, with the, you know, with the, the government-styly, sinister agency machinations, I kind of phased out a little bit with it. Yeah. Uh, um, but only because I was just really invested in the other stuff that I just really wanted to enjoy that. And mm. it was like, look, I know they're bad guys. It's all cool. They're going to do something horrible. It's all cool. Turns out what they're going to do horrible is they're going to use a chemical bomb on a parade. Is that right? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> it's absolutely dreadful. And blame it on, <laughs> uh, on what they say. Um, and blame it on extremists. Yes. So that they can get more funding from the White House. It's so petty. <laughs> it's baby work, isn't it? Absolute baby work. Um, and... Yes, it's all happening at like a lovely little hotel place. Another brilliant set, another great, sorry, location, I assume this one is. Another yeah. great set or location or whatever. Might be a little set, actually, because they, they blow it all to hell. So <laughs> this is where Sam Jackson gets Mrs. Deagled. Um, and then <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, there's the sort of the reuniting of Charlie and her daughter in this freezery thing. And she tells um, Bierko that um, the kid's his. Yeah. And mm. he he does a great job of looking at her and then going, you know, like discarding her immediately. You know, it's um, it's all lovely beats that I really really enjoyed. And then the the you know great writing again, where a plant come, becomes a payoff later on when she pours some of this gasoline out of the dolly's bum and it it goes under the door to some conveniently placed bottle uh, canisters. Yeah. <laughs> and but she needs a spark. She can't get one from. All the really useful stuff that Bierko and his gang left in there. <laughs> like, you do, don't do that, guys. It's a shoddy um, job. Just shoot her. It is, isn't it? You know. <laughs> yeah. uh, and stop telling her all of your plans. It's very Bond villain this thing. <laughs> it, it is, very isn't it? It is. She does, she does point that out, though, like, I'm going to die. What, what, does it, what does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> Again, in these instances, it's very Bond villain not to just... Offering the head right there. <laughs> you know, why don't Tell you just double tap? And then shoot double her. tap. Yeah, just don't don't do this. Tire in there, and because they were just going to be frozen in there, weren't yeah. they? You know, and I don't know what that was going to achieve other than being cinematic and cool. Um, cool, literally. They. Uh, she's got a little. Uh, she's got the matches in her little uh, little fractured wrist, and bam, and. Mrs. Deagle out the window, and because um, Sam Jackson was about hilarious. to get, so it is funny. so funny. Uh, Sam Jackson's about to get shot by Bierko because he had his head screwed on this bit. He yeah. was going to double tap Sam Jackson, <laughs> the, the least dangerous of the two. <laughs> um, but um, Jackson goes out the window. Um, super stuff. So yeah, let's just break down what happens in that. Scene. Yes, can so, we please? The gasoline flows out of the freezer into some. Conveniently placed barrels. They go up. Sam Jackson is about two or three floors up, strapped to a chair, about to be shot. 
the whole room explodes from underneath. Sam Jackson is propelled backwards while strapped to a chair through the window. He smashes into a neon sign that's about 20 yards outside the window. He then goes a further 20 yards into a tree, falls out of the tree, and then he's set upon by some henchmen as he's coming out, and he picks up a knife and throws it in the guy's throat. I mean, that is cinema. Yeah, it's fabulous. Everything about this is fabulous. I hope Mitch invoices um, Charlie Baltimore with a good, with a fair whack of money for what what she puts him through in this movie. You'd like to think there'd be something. Well, to be fair to her, at the when everything gets resolved at the end, she does get him. She does get the the president to set him up on the late night talk show circuit, which he seems to enjoy. Yeah. Yes. uh, Yes. I think. Yeah. That's such a good. Way to thank him as well, and his his family are watching that. Yeah, he's a Larry King, (laughs) like a national hero. Yeah, Um, it's just honestly this last bit. It's just all so well put together, and it just it it just like bang, 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 like think one after the other. Seem it like it's never going to end. Something else will happen. Yeah, and. Yes, it does go a bit sort of explosion heavy. There's like a yeah. um, there's a big sort of eighteen wheeler, isn't there? Yeah. That gets like completely tanked. There's a lot of like models getting blown yeah. up. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> really satisfying. Yeah. Really satisfying. Mitch gets shot about a hundred times. <laughs> uh, it's great. I, I love. There was so much blood everywhere, you know, and it meant that the stakes felt really high. Oh, it, yeah, it was yeah. like diehard levels of blood. You know, like when yeah. you see the hero go through it and it's just covered. I. I do like that stuff. I, I do think it, good. You mentioned Die Hard. I, we have mentioned a couple. It, it, there's a lot of parallels to Die Hard, there are, yeah. and it, it's it's on that same tone as well. And you know that yeah, that violence because by the end of it, uh, Mitch is just covered in blood, isn't he? And he yeah. just looks like he's so close to death. <laughs> and, he's like, um, and and then obviously um, Charlie Baltimore does as well because she's been shot a few times by Bierko. And and she's been what on us on the second major motor vehicle crash of the film, <laughs> where she goes flying from an eighteen wheeler after it piles into Bierko's car. After she smashed mm. it through a wall. After she smashed it through a wall. <laughs> after shouting something very unsavory as well. Who yes. again is a bit of a Superman himself because he dies about three times and keeps Does coming. He falls back the falls at some point. <laughs> he falls yes. <laughs> And then he just gets the chopper to come back and pick him up. (laughs) And then uh, definitive proof that this is, in fact, a Christmas movie is that Charlie Baltimore utilises Christmas lights to murder Craig Bianco. Yes. Which is a lovely little move, isn't it? Yeah. Where because there's, yes. there's a helicopter's gone down previously, hasn't there? There's a, there's a poor guy is just <laughs> still like still carnage. sizzling away. He's <laughs> just hanging from these Christmas lights, and she spies like an Uzi on his um, or like a machine gun on his belt, and it's just so cool. It's the one movement how she goes very good. Like, Ice is Bierko finally. It, it reminded me of that moment in uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with the the. Uh, the gun on the uh, coffin lid. Yes. You know, when he's on the other side, off, fallen off the bridge. Yeah. And he, one movement takes it. And, you know, it, this is all so slick, isn't it? Such slick filmmaking and storytelling and, and, and fun. This is why I'm, I'm not at the movies to go and watch. Like, if I wanted to see, to see a serious movie about ex-spies and ex-assassins, 
it would look nothing like this. But this is what I want to see because it's a movie. Yeah, it's an action extravaganza. It absolutely is. Um, and everyone gets blown up. Yeah, and you get those films nowadays like where they're, they're at this sort of like, you know, action extra, as you say, action extravaganza. And how often nowadays do these films like fall in the third act yeah. because it's some ridiculous CGI heavy nonsense? Yeah. But this genuinely feels like a proper big finale, and it really pays With off real at every point well. in this last. Yes. Yeah. Like, and she, even though, yes, yeah, the way in which she dispatches the villain is not quote unquote realistic in terms of <laughs> what you could actually do in a real life scenario. I watched Black Widow a couple of months ago, and I was like, "Oh right, so she's basically just Spider Man." Like there was, there was no, I know it's a prequel anyway, so I know she lives through mm. through this. But at no point did I ever think she was vulnerable, or she was going to die, or even get hurt in any point. Whereas Charlie Baltimore looks like she's been in a huge, like twelve round title fight. She's she's <laughs> like bleeding like a stuck pig. And near death, near the end. And, you know, that's why we all enjoy Die Hard so much, is because John McClane yeah. goes through the ringer, and you, when mm. you watch that movie, you're like, how is he still standing? How is he still going? Yeah. He's surely going to die. Mm. And and in this, she sort of, she is ready to yeah. as well, isn't she? A couple of occasions. Um, yeah, I, I just love everything here and, and and we you know the, the, she sort of quits being part of the agency and everything like that not that yeah. she was still sort of really actively apart and then she's um back uh at home with lovely howard langston mattress salesman <laughs> and uh <laughs> and having a lovely yeah lovely time on some ranch thing but she throws a knife at something to show she's still got it yeah how would you feel as 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 this sort of i mean i assume he's he's her husband now but um i'd be absolutely terrified even if i found out she's an assassin <laughs> she could <laughs> she could basically just like nail me with a with a well placed knife whatever she feels <laughs> i'd be scared shitless um but she's a goodie so it's okay yeah it's okay yeah and this firmly blurs the line between what goodies and baddies are this movie anyway so in the world of the movie it it works wonderfully um but there we have it there we have it folks uh the the long last long kiss kiss good night yeah why do i want to say last um anyway so favorite bits james what have you got uh so we touched on it uh earlier there's so much good uh banter for want of a better phrase, in this movie. And I really like the bit in Atlantic City where Charlie Baltimore is to Mitch's eyes being held up by uh, street hoodlums, but they turn out to be to be uh, government operatives. And uh, the guy says something to like to Charlie Baltimore along the lines of, this is a real big gun. And then Mitch appears from nowhere and puts a gun to the back of his ear and goes, this ain't no ham on rye. And then, <laughs> and then they have what is a staple of 90s action movies. They start arguing between... Charlie and Mitch start arguing between themselves while the guy has got a gun on Charlie. That distracts him, and then she disarms him, and they uh, and takes out the other operatives. And it's just really well shot that sequence. There's a real good sense of it's only a very quick sequence, like ten seconds, but it's just really, really well done. Good spatial geography, and you know where everybody is placed within the scene, and 
the guns go off like cannons, don't they? It's just it's just great fun. Nice, nice. Yeah, I do agree. It's very hard to iron out a single moment in this film that I really enjoyed. But um, uh, Sai, what about you? What's your favourite bit? Yeah, my, mine's sort of a little incidental bit um, away from all the madness, really. I just really like the, the... Again, it's the dynamic between the two of them and there's just some really good shots in it where I think it might be where they're on the way to Atlantic City and um, she kind of suggests that she's got all she needs out of Mitch and then she just throws him out of the car, <laughs> out of a moving car. <laughs> yeah. And then he's just lay on the tarmac and he just sparks up a cig, just lay there and the camera just sort of like pans up away from like a overhead shot just looking at him lay on the tarmac just having a fag <laughs> uh, and then she wheels back round and picks him up because she realises she does need him um, and I just love that little moment because that's like the, the sort of midpoint of the film and uh, it's kind of where it all goes really bad for Mitch really in terms of yeah. his, uh, his body integrity because <laughs> uh, he's just going to go from this point on he's just going to just get murdered about six times <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, I just I really love that bit. It's it's a nice little like him laying on the tarmac, having this. It's like the calm before the inevitable storm that's about to come in the rest of the film for him and and uh, Charlie as well. I just love that moment. It was great. Cool. Um, I, I find it very hard to look past Mrs. Deagle. Um, <laughs> <It's> incredible. <laughs> really hard to look past this. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try to. But it, it it comes. It's either one of those two great big drops that not only does Mitch go through the ring a big time, but he gets dropped out of off the top of a building essentially twice. Um, once going, through, once landing in a tree, the other one landed through ice into a freezing lake. Um, so he really has a bad time of it. Um, so yeah, either one of those for me is brilliant. But because it evokes so many brilliant memories. Of Mrs. Deagle on her, on her like on her stairlift thing yeah. going wrong. I have to say that when when the explosion goes off and Mitch ends up flying out the building, I just thought it was amazing. It reminded me of uh, <laughs> John Travolta's death in yes, De- <laughs> yes, maybe we should call her Mrs. Deagle. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, for your reconsideration, FYR, James, long kiss, good night. What are you saying? Oh yeah, and this is this is a well-staged action movie enhanced by a script that is brimming with one-liners. Davis and Sam Jackson have an easy chemistry that makes them easy to root for, and the cast is stacked with an absolute murderer's row of amazing character actors. It contains all of the 90s action staples, squibs, jokes, innocent bystanders getting plugged, but it's able to subvert them in interesting ways due to the fact that the lead is character is a woman and a really, really interesting take on um, on the government assassin role. Some of the effects haven't aged well, but it's still tremendously violent, festive fun, and I think everyone should get it in their Christmas action movie rotation if they haven't already. Brilliant. Brilliant. What about you, Sai? Yeah. Being a, a huge fan of, of quippy 90s action explosion fests, the Long Kiss Goodnight really stands strong amongst all the top draw films of that era, I think. And it's unfairly kept out of that group for, for some reason. Um, sure, that there are a few elements that have dated a wee bit. You know, there's a few green screen bits that look a bit dodge and there's uh, some almost comical model work in some instances. And there was a couple, for me, there's a couple of like hokey editing decisions in, in, the early, in a couple of the early fight sequences that kind of jarred a tiny bit. But they're just like minor quibbles. 
the real sharpness of Shane Black's script and the undeniable chemistry between Gina Davis and Sam Jackson makes this an alternative festive film you really should be checking out. We've all seen Die Hard and we all love Die Hard. But if you fancy a bit of a change this Christmas, um, you know, for that alternative Christmas movie, um, or even an accompanying film for a double bill, um, I think you're going to have a real good time with this one. Amazing stuff, guys. I, I think um, you're, you're spot on the money here. This is overlooked, underappreciated um, for reasons that I really can't fathom. Um, and I'm guessing it must be down to what we talked before, the, the cutthroat island after effects and um, strange marketing. Um, I've, since we've, we've been doing this, um, you know, talking about this here, I had a look at that poster that reminded me so much of you know, the movie uh, when I was younger, the one that I saw in the video shop. And it's absolutely awful, you know, and it doesn't do anything to sell the movie whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, that must have something to do with it as well. It's such a shame. We saw this with Frighteners as well, didn't we? That um, a movie gets uh, buried by its its bad marketing, which is such a sadness and a shame because there's so much to enjoy here. I think this could be one of the best written sort of buddy cop kind of movies that you're going to find anywhere. I think that the, the dynamic between Davis and Jackson is really, really fresh, but also really ahead of its time. And I, there's just so much to like. Um, it's got mega set pieces. Uh, you know, the plot, you're not really here for the plot. You know, you know, it, it's about someone finding themselves and having a lot of explosions while she does so <laughs> and gunfire. And it's great. For that, it's great. Brilliant performance by Davis. Brilliant performance by Jackson. And I'm going to say as well, a brilliant performance by Rennie Harling. And Craig Bierko. And, and Chris Bierko. <laughs> um, super stuff all around by everybody. Um, so yeah, get it in your eyes as quick as you can, folks. Um, yes. And have a lovely Christmas. Um, whatever it is that you're all doing, um, be good to each other, be good to yourselves and have a lovely time. And you boys, you have a lovely Christmas as well. Yes. You too, Rob. Thanks very much. Merry Christmas, one and all. Merry Crimbles to everybody. Absolutely. Um, so give us five stars on your subscription service of choice. Tune in next time to... What's your pick next time, Rob? <gasps> Ooh, Do I mention Rob. what we're doing? Yeah, of course. Yeah, We'll be back in the new year in January. We'll time. be back in the new year with the frankly insane um, Christopher Walken alien abduction movie Communion. <laughs> you heard that correctly. Yes. Um, and it's, it's on Amazon Prime right now, I believe. Um, you will not believe where this movie goes. No, seriously, you will not believe it. I've never seen it. I've always wanted to. So this is going to be a lovely little treat. Wow. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, thanks for everything. And uh, yeah, Merry Christmas. Say goodbye, boys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm going to go and put a pig in blanket next to Mr. Wally. <laughs> <laughs> There's already one down there. <laughs> Mr. Wally, I love <laughs> casual admission that he's named it, but not just that he's named it, that he's named it that. So funny. What's going on. <laughs> <laughs>